then the next week they'll get together and they serve each other. Equip them to do these things. The, the, what we have to give is not money. We have it to give and we should give in certain ways. But we shouldn't just make them so reliant upon us that the own local church... There's a church that uh, I know in Nicaragua that has never done their own BBS in 20 years because they send a church... There's a church from Arkansas that goes down every year and does their VBS for them. And, and I've just, it breaks my heart um, because that church gripes and complains that they have to give the, their career missionary $100 a month. But they don't shrink back at all from spending thousands and thousands of dollars on short-term teams to send teenagers down there to do a VBS. So anyway, uh, great long-term, uh, great short-term Missions have long-term impact, and so the best way is to work on equipping the local, the national brothers. So DTN does a lot of work with, we do a lot of work in training leaders. Um, so like I mentioned last night about the, the Honduras stats, you remember that? First evangelical missionary made it to Honduras in the 1760s. Still to this day, over 80% of all Honduran pastors have never had access to theological training, not, not even not had it, that's never had access, okay? That's a problem. When we spend a billion dollars a year taking teams to Honduras, tons of medical teams, tons of everything else, uh, we just fail miserably. So, one issue um, is how do, we, how do we do that? See, what I believe is that all Greek and Hebrew scholars, all systematic theology professors and things like that shouldn't be American. I want there to be Honduran scholars that can lead the Honduran churches. Well, we need to go and train and help them. And then Hondurans, once we're done, right? Remember the whole goal. When the mission field becomes the mission force, that's when we're done. But we need to train them to become the force, not train them to be reliant on us. And so on their short-term teams, that's what we need to be thinking about. And ultimately, this comes back to our local church. How are you making disciples? Are you making disciples to maturity and multiplication like God calls us to? Are you trying to make disciples who will be more disciple-making force right here at Liberty? That's the goal, isn't it? Sometimes we fail at that because we don't have that vision of what it is we're headed toward. And so you, we, we take those steps that direction to accomplish that I think we would reach the world a whole lot faster if we would have actually accomplished it in Honduras and say, hey, Hondurans, come go with us. We're going to go to Asia. Right? Instead of going down there and sending teams to go share the same seven Bible stories that they heard last week. So I'm anti-bad short-term missions. And I want you to be anti-bad short-term missions. I'm trying to recruit you to my team. Okay? Because I want you to have fun experiences. I'm not anti-fun. I'm just pro-accomplishing the task. Is that clear? Anybody have questions about how that might work? Or I know I'm speaking a lot in general. Um, but... So, Lord willing, if, if the Lord allows and, and you guys are interested, DTN would love to serve and support you guys if you're thinking about starting um, theological training in Belize. And here's something you need to be thinking about. In eight to ten years, if the Lord allows, this will be something you'll need to start in Southeast Asia. Once there's a Bible and there's a church and there's leaders, how do we start doing discipleship training to maturity and multiplication in Southeast Asia, right? Because the task is not finished when there's a book, right? There's a, the task is finished when there's people who are trained in the book and can go and proclaim that book faithfully, right? Good? Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> one thing that the mission team needs to do is they, they've got to help the church understand the different roles in missions. So I told you, you can either go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. 
So the way I typically describe this is bow and arrow. Um, so I always pick out some big giant man's man in here. So I'm going to go with justice. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so justice, this man's man, I'm not making fun of you, I'm really not. I, I, I was just trying to think of what, I, I was really trying to think of what your name was, but I don't know your name, so that's why I was going to go with Justice. Because <clears throat> this guy was a, was a police officer, and uh, he looks li- like a stud, and he told me he's in his 70s, which I'm shocked about. I, I would have never guessed, I would have been here a month trying to guess your age. Um, but this guy's put together well, right? So, uh, what, tell me your name, I'm sorry. Dan. Dan, okay. So Dan is really man's man, could get these things accomplished. So I don't know if Dan's a hunter, but I'm, you are? Okay, so if I was to hand Dan just an arrow, not a bow, and say, Dan, could you go and harvest the deal? Now, deer, now because he's Dan, he might could be able to accomplish it, okay? <laughs> but most of us probably couldn't, right? With just an arrow. Or if I was to hand him a bow without an arrow and say, would you go and accomplish this? Could you harvest a deer? Um, he might could jump out of a tree and Rambo the thing. <laughs> but I don't know, right? But if I was to hand Dan a bow and an arrow together, he would literally have a shot, right? He'd have a shot at this. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, but I, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, making mention of you always in my prayer with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, the great missionary, privileged to be the arrow launched out for the target, launched out to the nations for the sake of his name, right? Of God's name. Privileged to be that arrow. Recognized he's completely worthless by himself. Completely worthless. An arrow by itself is fairly useless. A bow, likewise, by itself, is fairly useless. Listen to me, it is foolish for missions agencies and missions conferences to stop after just trying to get people to go. Because building arrows without building bows is silly. Not all of us are called to be arrows. I desperately want to be an arrow. My heart still breaks that we got to go and serve for a little bit. And the Lord called us back. But the only way I'm okay with it is He lets us be a bow. Because I want to be a part of it. And I get to be a part of being a bow that helps other people become bows so that they can launch out more arrows to the nations. Missionaries are useless without bows. Bows are useless without... So, what I want you to understand is how can they preach unless they are sent? This cough drop's not working. Probably. <clears throat> so, what, what this missions team gets to do is they get to help people to understand there's multiple roles. Now, to be quite honest with you, I, when somebody calls and they says they want to be a goer, I, one of my questions is, have you ever sent? Um, because the best goers were already senders. And so the pathway to get your people, to mobilize them to, to missions, you have to recognize the goal for a lot of them is to mobilize them to send. Because not all of us are goers. When my, my grandparents went to World War II, for every man that was sent overseas, there was 18 soldiers back home that their job was to help them have the resources that they needed so that the, they could go 
accomplish their mission, and come home safely. Now, in the military, for every person that we deploy, there's 50 soldiers back home that make sure they can go, have everything that they need to achieve their mission, and come home safely. That's getting very close to what it takes to be able to accomplish uh, the sending of a missionary. Most missionaries need about 75 supporters on average. It's different for everyone. But on average, they need about 75 people who are willing to pray, serve, give, and encourage so that they can go accomplish their, their mission and come back safely. Interestingly enough, do you know how many names Paul names in the New Testament of those that supported and served him in his mission? 75. <coughs> so, the mission team. <coughs> it's a couple of things. I, I've got to speed this up. You're going to hate me. Um. But when you do this, the first thing you're doing, as you're praying, you've got to evaluate all the factors before you set your mission strategy. Now, I put all this in the book, so I'm going to go quickly. But I want you to know these, these are important, and I didn't write this for fun. Okay? I wrote this as a resource, and hopefully this will help you. But one of the things you have to think about when you're setting your global strategy is, what is the na- what's going on in the world? Right? So you think about the state of religion in the world unreached factors, UPGs, UUPGs, what countries are closed, all these different things. You have to consider these things when you think about what it is you're going to accomplish. Now remember, we don't do this, we just go to unreached people groups, just like what we talked about in Honduras, right? Honduras is a good field, but it's, it's almost that second wave of missions that's needed because we've only obeyed a third of the gospel, a third of the Great Commission, I mean. We've only gone and evangelized. We've not established biblically faithful churches yet. In Costa Rica, I'll give you this. A missiologist five years ago said that in Costa Rica, which is a country of five million people, the missiologist said there's less than ten biblically faithful churches. A DTN missionary has actually planted two of them. So... Most mission agencies, lots of mission agencies, IMB, IMB pulled out of all of Latin America. They said that they're done, the task is over. I disagree. If the task was just converts, sure, you can say you're done. But that's not our task, right? So remember these things when we do this. Equipping the Honduran or the Costa Rican church to biblical faithfulness and to maturity and to multiplication so that they can go forth is a good part of the task that needs to be done. We can't say we accomplish the task if we only do a third of it. If you tell your child to go clean their room and they clean one third of it, do you give them props? No. I do not think the Lord would give us props if we quit at conversion. (coughs) So... These are things that I try to encourage you. Think about all these things. Think about unreached people groups, certainly. But that's not the thing. You can't shut off all other missions. Because if you do that, you might go and you can have Raymond and Leanne work there until there's one convert and then say, okay, you're done, come home. And they're not done. They won't be finished. So you you build these things in. You've got to have this conviction about you that causes you to accomplish the whole task. Everybody with me? Yeah. So, then we talk through which ministries do you believe would be most strategic? Strategic things are, we need people thinking more strategically. So many times we just throw money at problems, right? Money's the cheapest thing we've got. So we just throw money at this stuff. When we spend $2.4 billion on really bad missions teams, that's a problem, Right? We need to be more strategic about what, we're, what it is we're trying to accomplish. The next thing is think about who you are as a church. This is where I can't help you. Okay? But each church is different. They're individual. And this is why we don't try to give you a cookie-cutter approach. 
We want to provide robust, personalized support for your church. We do the same thing for our missionaries. We want to provide robust, personalized support for our missionaries. We don't tell our missionaries, you've got to be these things. You've got to do this. This is the way we'll serve you. We look at our missionaries, and, and we don't force them to, to be part of our piece of the puzzle. Right? We figure out who God has created them to be, what giftings he's given them, what experience they have, what education they have, what their family histories are. Right? What sort of, we, well, we have a daughter that has juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Right? And so for our medical care, we need something specific. Right? If I was to say to every missionary at DTN, you've got to all have this, you're not allowed to have JRA, then that doesn't work, that doesn't serve and support them. I look at who they are and then figure out what they need. So instead of an agency trying to force that missionary into our piece of the puzzle, we just try to build our, our, our puzzle around the piece that God has created our missionaries to be. So when, when we, <clears throat> I have a really cool story that I won't tell you but, uh, about wh how, what got me started in missions, but I wanted to train pastors. That's, that's my heart, uh, to equip these guys to be able to accomplish their task. And, um, you know, it's, it's a strange, uh, I kind of want to tell you the story. <laughs> but, anyway. <clears throat> when I started trying to, to join a missions agency, uh, I called an agency and said, this is what I want to do. I feel very strongly that I need to train pastors. And they said, we don't do that. And so I called another one. I said, I want to train pastors. We don't do that. I want to work with church planners and, and train them, equip them so that I can do a good job. No, we don't do that. It was over and over and over. Called one agency and I told them, I'll learn to be a linguist and I'll, I will. I'll go to school, do whatever you want me to do, and I'll translate the entire Bible, but when I'm done, can I stay and train the people in the Bible? And they said no. It was really strange. I, I really felt like I was, I knew that my calling was real, and it, I knew it was valuable, I knew it was needed, and it was strange because everybody, when I would call them, they said, oh man, we could really use you, but not for that, you have to go and do this. And they tried to force fit me into something else that wasn't what my calling was. <clears throat> and so we've purpose, purposefully avoided things like that. Because God has created and he's built convictions and desires and passions into someone's life. And, and we don't hire and say, you go and you do this one thing. Because lots of times what happens is when somebody gets on the field, the spirit is there and he leads them to needs and somebody will inevitably call us and go, this is a huge need. And we really feel like we can impact this doing, by doing these things. And so we talk about, so can you do both? Or do we need to adjust? We allow the Spirit to work in our mission strategies. Right? And so one of the things we do at local churches needs to be the same thing. is to unleash your people through the power of the Holy Spirit to have eyes to see the needs around them. We have Miss Lindley. I, I mentioned her name, Miss Lindley. She walks with a cane. She's a widow lady in our community, and um, her husband passed away several years ago and had just this really tragic illness toward the end of his life and left them with nothing. I mean, she has nothing. When we found her, she was living in a little rundown trailer that was missing windows. The door wasn't shut all the way. It was tragic. And one of our brothers found her and said, we need to do something. And so our church got together and built her a little mini house. And she's come to the Lord. She's a faithful member. She won't miss at all. Um, matter of fact, on February 14th, last Tuesday, she came and banged on my window with her cane. And uh, I came outside and I said, what are you, what's going on? And she said, I wanted you to have this. And she gave me a heart-shaped box of chocolates. And she said, make sure you give that to Candy, my wife. Right? So we were able to do this. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was leading one of our brothers and sisters in, in Christ in our church to a need that we were able to reach out to somebody. Now, if we don't awaken our people to the fact that they're here with a purpose, and that purpose is not about them, 
then we, I mean, how many needs are we missing right here under our nose? My people have now, little bitty church, when we went, went to our church, there's 13 people there. Uh, we started in October of 2020. 13 people in the church. We're now running 60 and 70. And uh, we've put in a double wide trailer and we're building a missionary house. And then this is all coming from the people. I've not done any of this. Um, but the, they're talking about, because of the work they've done with Miss Lindley, talking about building small houses on the backside of our property and calling it Widow's Corner so that we can serve more ladies that are struggling and that have needs in our community. We're just going to do this one or two at a time. They've done it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's at work. He works in them. And the Holy Spirit wants to work in your people too. And so part of what I want you to see is with this missions team is the missions team just needs to be leading in that. Right? Some, so many times we don't know what to do with this. You have a young believer comes in and you know, feels led to do something, has no clue what to do. Because so many of our frozen chosen are just sitting on our pews, sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises, right? Isn't that what, how that goes? We're not called to sit on the premises, though. So, <clears throat> so think about your church. Think about the resources you have, the assets you have, the experiences you have, the connections you have. This is where I, I don't know what you have, but but your team needs to be thinking through these things. That you have a connection, I know, in Ukraine. Good connection. You have a connection in Belize. You're building a connection in Southeast Asia. Right? So this kind of is building itself, right? At, the, at this point, if you're starting from scratch, from, from fresh, I would recommend don't get any more for a little bit. Right? Figure out how to do these well. Uh, if you start this, remember, somebody's going to show up and go, oh, I've got somebody in Nigeria. Be okay with saying no. You've got to say a lot of holy no's in order to be able to stay on mission and to accomplish the thing God's called you to do. And mission strategies come in one of two forms. Some churches, their goals will be, we want to serve 100 missionaries. and We want to give 100 missionaries $5 a month. Right? And I don't like that at all. For lots of reasons. But one you can't keep up with that many. That's why I go to church and say, how many missionaries you got? Uh, nine or 11 or something? I want to go to church and go, how many missionaries you got? We've got three. Here's their, here's their names. Here's their kids' names. Here's their dog's name. Here's their birthdays. I send them birthday cards. Because we're, we're not looking for mediocre impact, right? We're looking for deep impact. So how do we serve and support these guys to help them accomplish the task? We believe in their task. How do we help them accomplish it? And you can't accomplish it if all you're doing is $5 a month to 100 missionaries. It's just it's a different strategy than what I recommend to churches. Okay. Also look at how has God been using you. This will be a very good exercise for your church. When you build this missions team, and I think there's, there's people here that would be interested in being on it. Mike and Justice, I don't want to speak for you. You may not be ready for this, but I think some of your people are. I'm having some very encouraging conversations during the breaks of guys going, we, we, this is something we want to do. Um, that's exciting to me. Um, so one of the things that you get to do in, in this process, I think, is you need to talk about how God has been using you. You know, one of the things I think we fail to do is to acknowledge the grace that he has given us and the things he has done through us, we sometimes fail to see. It's wise to pause and say, God, I praise you that Miss Lindley is here. She would not have been here unless you had done this work in this brother's life. And then as he shared this concern, you, it caught fire between these other brothers. And they built, we built a house. We didn't buy a house. We built a house. Bunch of hillbilly redneck cattle ranchers, southeastern Oklahoma, built a house for this lady. And now she has heat and air. There's another little widow lady. She's actually the only, 
We, we, we live way out in the country, okay? But um, she's the only black lady in an entire county. And she, there's racism there. It's tragic. But she was in a very small little home and had no water, no indoor plumbing, no electric. Um, we've put in indoor plumbing and electric water and all this stuff into her house. In the wintertime, she was having to go outside and sit in the sun to try to warm up. Not anymore. This little widow lady in Wapanucka, Oklahoma has been loved on. She's a believer. Okay? Faithful little lady. How? Why? Because what happens is we saw what the Lord did through us through Miss Lindley and we realized, hey, we could do some other stuff too. And now we're looking for this. And these guys are doing it. I've not done any of it. I take zero credit because I've earned zero credit. But they ran from helping these ladies and as many as they can, they're going to do that. And then they're even talking now about building this place. So my point is, when you do this, don't speed through this. Take some time to evaluate what God has done through you and through your church. Because it will be incredibly encouraging. And you will find, I think, most often you'll find that God has already set you on this path. And maybe what this will do is just help jumpstart that awakening to realizing what God is doing through you. Because he has a plan and a purpose to use you for his glory. Okay? So don't rush that. Like I'm having to rush. Okay? Alright. So have them gather all that information. Have the team gather all that information. And then answer again, what's the why question? Why do we do missions? What is our purpose? Answer that question, and let me just give you the answer again. Let the Bible answer that for you. Okay? So then you decide on what that vision strategy is. Get a path forward. And I'm happy to help you. Do, we can, I'm happy to come back and workshop this with you if you get to that point, or zoom in. I'm, I would love to. It'd be a privilege. But make sure you get this nailed down, because if you don't, you're going to be helping puppies in Kenya okay you've got to let that strategy be, be built and a strategy is just setting those boundaries this is what it is we will do now that doesn't mean you're not open to new things the Lord will as you grow this the Lord's going to open up other opportunities and other places to do other things it's very rare that a church only does Bible translation right but it's great to do Bible translation and then you might get to do Bible translation in another place and then you might do church planning somewhere else. You might do theological training somewhere else. There's lots of things to be done. But recognize, don't just scattergun approach and then hope you do things mediocre. Do things well. Build a team that can do that well. Excellent for the Lord. Achieving, actually accomplishing the task. And then we add other things as the Lord builds new people. Now watch. If you unleash your people to reach the nations guess what? So many times what's happening is as people catch fire to reach the nations, they're going to also catch fire to reach people around here. Lots of churches are stagnant because they have no vision of taking the gospel out. The guy, the man that, uh, John Layton Wilson is his name, the man that started the Presbyterian Church in the United States actually said, the hope for the church at home is to take the gospel to the nations. And that was his point. He said, if we don't have this purpose, if we don't understand what God has called us to do, our church at home will die. And lots of churches are dying because they have no vision of doing anything else. Anybody ever seen that in church? I, I've been in lots of churches, and I've seen that. Anybody been in another church? Let's not talk about liberty. <laughs> Did anybody have experience of seeing a church with no vision? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? And, and it does. It causes death. Even people won't be growing in their daily walk with the Lord because there's no purpose. Their job was to just come and get fire insurance and just wait till they get to go to heaven. And, and that's not the point. The only problem with that philosophy is the Bible. <clears throat> okay. So ask the question. 
in light of all that God desires to do, in light of all that God is doing in the earth, how does he want us to accomplish it? And so you can talk through stateside church planning, overseas church planning, Bible translation, relief, however you're going to do this. Um, And again, I'm going to say, like I said last night, in my humble but accurate opinion, relief is best done through local churches. Best done through local churches every time. And so when you start with relief, that's a problem. And, And I personally don't think relief funds should be in the budget for overseas missions relief. Um, for several reasons. One, by definition, relief is supposed to be a temporary fix. Somebody has had some natural disaster, some, something tragic that has happened to them, and the job is to get them on the feet, not serve and support them the rest of their life. And so it doesn't need to be a budgeted item that we, okay, we're going to give $10,000 a month to this program. I, I don't think that's wise. Scripturally, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 speaks a ton about this. Um, I highly recommend that you guys spend some time expounding that uh, in this process because there's, the Bible has a lot to say about how we give. So in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul says giving should be sacrificial. Oh man, it's a tremendous passage. I don't have time to talk you through it, I'm sorry. But it's a tremendous passage. Paul says it's got to be sacrificial. Paul, Paul there says they gave so much out of their poverty. They were completely impoverished and gave in an abundance, he says. Why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's the exact quote. Okay? They first gave themselves to the Lord. And so that's why if Liberty Church first, first gives yourself to the Lord, missions funding will take care of itself. Right? And so they had a need to give to the relief of the saints. And this church gave for a specific purpose. So giving should be sacrificial right, to meet these needs, and that's, a, that's all about relief. And again, there's two chapters there, and it's powerful. Uh, but also giving, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, talks about how giving should be planned. So in your giving, when you're planning these things, and I'm talking to individuals as well, Okay? I started this yesterday and got off, but I want to go back. So we talked about wartime lifestyle. Remember that? Wartime lifestyle to a lot of people, they think what that means is that a missionary ought to be able to live in a foxhole with K rations. And a lot of agencies even stress that missionaries do that. I I do not. I'm, I'm not of that belief. We do have some soldiers that do that. Uh, DTN currently has a brother right now uh, sleeping in the jungles of the, of the Philippines. And he's sleeping under a tarp. And he'll be there for three months teaching a Bible institute. To get there, he drove as far as he could possibly go. And then got out and hiked 13 miles up a mountainous jungle to get to these people. So pray for David right now. Right? That's what he's doing. Um, through storms, through snakes, through all the stuff. We have guys that still do that. That's a K-ration, uh, foxhole sort of thing. Okay? But you don't ask fighter pilots to, to do that. Wartime lifestyle looks different for each person. And each mission needs to be funded properly in order so it to be accomplished. If we need a fighter pilot, we don't want him flying around in some you know, backyard-made plane. He needs to have equipment in order to accomplish the task. And so lots of times we fail because if a missionary comes and the first thing you say is, well, how much money are you going to need? Right? And you say that with, you're, you're just going to be living on K rations, right? That's a problem. That's a heart problem. So, be, be thinking about what does this person need to accomplish the task. One of the reasons we do, we try to steward our gospel resources well, and we, we work on just a 5% uh, administration fee, is because of all the missionaries I've met that can't afford Bibles to give to their people, that have never given a penny to any sort of retirement account, because they're giving 16, 17, 
were sent to their agency. And when we think of how can we better serve and support these people, we go, well, let's operate on a 5% and give them an 11% raise so that they can do something else. We had a missionary join us last year from another agency, and we don't try to steal from other agencies, but sometimes it happens. If they're not being served well, we try to fix it. But um, they came over because their admin fee just kept rising and going up and up. So they came to us, and we saved them $1,300 a month. That's where I look at it, and you know, you go, man, if I had their $1,300 a month, I could hire more people, I could do more things. But I would much rather him be better equipped for his job than to try to build a temporary organization like DTN that will only be around until Jesus comes back. Right? I'd rather invest that in the local church. Doesn't that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So um, that has freed them up. They were actually to the point that he'd been overseas 31 years. And they were to the point that they were afraid they would have to come home because he just couldn't afford the admin fee anymore. Now he gets to stay. A couple things. When you hold the rope, remember, it's not just the missionaries that are supposed to get calluses. I think we have a really poor understanding when we think only the missionaries need to be living in wartime lifestyle. The question is, aren't you called to war too? And this is what the idea is, is helping the missions team teach this to the church, is everybody has a role to play. You know, to be quite honest with the people that's in here, if you would take a look at your personal finances, I bet you... I bet there's $50 that's gone every month that you have no clue where it goes. And I think I'm way undercutting it. And I think you could go, you know, I want to make sure this $50 goes to missions. And I, I think Raymond and Leanne be almost fully funded. You know? I think... So many times our American Christians think we really need to be driving those 2023 cars when really what you need to be driving is a 2017 and you need to be given more to missions. You can't expect them to fully embrace their role as an arrow and you not fully embrace your role as a bow. I think it's very dangerous when people... I have Preaching in the Bible Belt Buckle is a challenge. Okay. I've begged the Lord to send me somewhere. I'll send me to the prodigal, but instead he sent me to the angry older brother. <laughs> and uh, it's hard. But I want to go ahead and say this out loud. That way nobody in here would make the mistake of coming and saying this to me. But I've had so many people come up to me and go, I just don't know how you do that, how you can go over and do that. I, when I came to the Lord, I told him, Lord, you can't send me to Africa. And, and let me just go ahead and let's... You understand that the word Lord means master. Yeah. Hey, W. Tozer said the, the strangest sentence that should never be said is no Lord. If you're willing to look at the God of the universe who saved your soul and say, no, you can't have my life, I don't think you're getting it. And so many times we look at how to give him the very smallest amount but we look to these missionaries and we say, we want you to give of everything. And I think it's time that we have a personal, honest look about what we do. I'm not here to convict you, but I'm here to allow the Spirit to convict you if He wants to. Okay. If you've looked at the work that's still to be done, and you still think you need the $8 coffee at Scooters every day, instead of making your own, then, then that's between you and the Lord. But I think there's things you can do. I think everybody ought to have missions that they're supporting. Anybody want to challenge me on that? Because I'm holding a lot back. So, is there a gap between where your church is right now in missions and where you believe that the Lord is sending you in missions? Is there a gap? Are you fully aligned, fully 
accomplishing all the things that you believe God has called you to do yet? No. But are we figuring out that there is a path forward? Okay, then I'm excited. Okay. So then write the missions policy. I wrote you an actual um, things on how to write the missions policy. I think it's in the book. There's also a section there that says these are the benefits of a missions policy. All these things I'm happy to walk through with you again. I'm really sorry that I'm not able to do that. Uh, in your appendix, I've written you a short-term missions policy that's not fully uh, written out, but I say these are the things you need to consider when you write your own short-term missions policy. Um, I, I think it will teach you enough or walk you through enough that you could do it without me. The, it includes things about how they'll be financed and things like that. So, step three. Building global vision in your church. Grasp God's purpose with the nations, and this needs to be taught at all ages and repeated often. So, it needs to be the goal of the elders and the goal of the missions team to educate members on the biblical basis of missions as well as the historical, cultural, and strategic issues in world missions. This will greatly help senders, right? Because you're not just raising up goers, you want to raise up senders. And so to raise up senders, they're going to need to know these things about what cultural issues are there out there. What are our missionaries going to face? One of the, the sections, uh, sections in here is how do you develop and assess your missionaries? Well, one of the things you have to note is if you're going to go to school to be a brain surgeon, that really lines up with the things that you need to go to study for. Right? You don't necessarily need to know the inner workings of a diesel engine. Right? It would be almost a, a waste, wouldn't it, to spend a lot of time on diesel engines when you're going to go be a brain surgeon? So what your church needs to know is what's a missionary got to go do so that you can help train people to go and send or to be able to go and accomplish that. So think through what, what it takes to be a missionary, what issues a missionary will face, and then you can talk through these things. You can talk about cultures. It's a glorious thing. You get to teach so much about the nature and character of God when you talk about cultures, to show how God in his creative genius brought about people that are in every tribe, tongue, and nation, that he knows the exact number. We have a guess of 17,000 different people groups. He knows the exact number. And he's created each one of them perfectly in his image for his glory. And he's not done until he redeems some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Right? We get to learn about God through the study of missions and through recognizing our purpose and what he's doing through us. <clears throat> so build this in. Again, to do this, you've got to have a clear understanding of the gospel, right? So church, that's always going to be your first priority. You've got to provide the clear understanding of who God is and what God's doing in the world. So this God, man, Christ response thing we talked about last night has to be at the forefront. Because if somebody can just show up and, and well, this guy's been going to church for 20 years, he doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you know, God will be okay with him when he... You know, when he dies, God will be okay with that. If that's pervasive in your church, then missions is never going to work. Right? So you've got to have a proper theology of the gospel. Proper theology will help you grasp biblical missions. So last night when I described disciple-making movements to you, it was very easy for you guys to go, no. Why? Because you had a grasp of the gospel. That's a testament to your elders here that they have taught you well what the scriptures speak on those things. Right? So if I ever explain DMM and the whole church is like, oh, that sounds great, I start staring at justice in mind. <laughs> right? Like, you guys need to go work at McDonald's. Right? So you need to find you a new job because you're not doing this one. <clears throat> Building global vision in your church also includes a few things. Teach 
the necessity of going and sending, not one or the other, going and sending, right? Be a part of both. Actually, the Disciple of the Nations, the Board of Disciple of the Nations, uh, believes that missionaries should not be on such K rations that they can only be goers. We want our missionaries to be able to raise enough funds so that they can be a part of helping send other missionaries. And I realize it's silly that we ask missionaries to raise $100 so that they can give to another missionary. But I want them to be a part of it. Right? Uh, teach non-materialism in your church. Uh, it, very quickly, John Piper has a tremendous uh, book called Brothers Were Not Professionals, and in it he says uh, something to the effect of copper will do. I can't remember the title of that chapter, but read it and teach that. The idea is that one of the best conductors of electricity is gold. But we don't use gold. You know why? Because copper will do. And so many times our people in our culture... We're so materialistic that we think the new and the better is best. Right? We, we want to get these new, fancy, fine things. And quite honestly, it's better for us to downsize, to get something that's a little bit older, so because copper will do, and we can use our resources to do something else. I back that up with my lifestyle. I drive an old Honda Pilot I spent $4,000 on. Okay? Uh, I don't ask you to do something I'm not. Teach self-sacrifice. Teach biblical submission to authority. Listen, this is something every missionary is going to have to do. They've got to know how to do that. Teach conflict resolution. Now watch me. You do this not just to those that you're trying to develop as missionaries. You do this to everybody. Why? Because everybody in your church needs to know these things. Maturity for the Christian life is not just for the elite that show up at your church. We need to be teaching all of our people all of these things and encouraging them to walk in the ways of the Lord. So there's not one Christian on the planet that doesn't know, need to know how to handle it when there's a tough situation arises. How do we live out the gospel and forgiving each other, recognizing that Christ died for the sin that I committed against you? We need to know how to walk through those things. Wouldn't that also help prevent a whole bunch of Second Baptist and Third Baptist and Fourth Baptist? And, right? Because. Church conflict is not a good church planting strategy. But it is a lot of times what our strategy is. But it shouldn't be. Because we just go plant the same dysfunctional thing down the street. That was a little rough, sorry. Developing and assessing your missionaries. Man, I just don't have time for this. Right, let's talk. I got a little bit. Bible trivia time. How much time elapses between Acts chapter 9 when Paul is converted on the road to Damascus and Acts chapter 13 where the, the church in Antioch sends him out as a missionary? Three and a half years was the guess? I heard somebody else. Three years? You're wrong. Seeing if anybody else had a guess. Five months? It's actually 14 years. So many times we read that in a setting and think, Paul, this guy who grew up trained, you know, he's, he's trained in the Scriptures, trained in the Old Testament. God converted him, changed, and he was ready to be sent on his missionary. He wasn't. What was he doing for 14 years? He was being developed in the local church. Church was growing him, maturing him. He was, when we find him in Acts chapter 13, he's an elder at the church, ready to go. And the Holy Spirit comes Upon the elders of the church, there's five elders there uh, that is mentioned there in Acts chapter 13. Five elders, uh, the church in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the ministry that I have called them to do. It took 14 years. So one of the things we encourage young missionaries, when young missionary candidates call us, 
<clears throat> I never expect them to get on the field quickly. I like having the conversations five or six or ten years before they're ready to go. It's a long-term plan because they need to develop. In every one of your missionaries, you need to be seeing the, the qualifications for elders. Now, there's some that won't work if they're ladies, okay? But understand me, those qualifications for elders are not something that just the super spiritual people get to do. That is the standard of Christian maturity that every person in the local church should be called to. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter 5, all these things are qualifications for elders that should be natural things that we're growing in. All of our people are going, growing in grace towards. Right? Now, to assess your missionaries, if they can't meet these things, then they're probably not ready. Okay? Now, there are certain situations that we would need to talk about certain things. But a lot of the, the new craze in missions is let's send college kids. And, and let's be real honest, college kids aren't ready to do most of the things that are required in missions. They're just not ready. I, I love them. I, and I say this as somebody that benefited from people not believing this. Okay? Because uh, I took my first ministry job when I was 18. Uh, I had youth kids that were older than I was. Don't recommend it. Right? Uh, I've been serving in the local church since I was 18 years old. Um, th that should not be the norm. I should have been serving, but not on staff. Right? Um, I messed up a lot of, in a lot of ways. Church was very gracious. Right? So, developing and assessing missionaries... Please note that the church is the seedbed for missionaries, and every missionary will come from the church, everyone. They are planted in a local church, grown in a local church, so that they can be replanted in another local church for the sake of another local church, to either plant, strengthen, or enlarge the reach of that one, right? So missionaries are always to be connected to local churches.